Everybody's on vacation but me. No one's here today except for Austin running the board. Everyone's gone. Every host is gone at the station. It's This is basically, this is supposed to be the unofficial holiday of the sport personality, on the sports personality calendar. Everybody tries to mark it off a million years in advance. Some will be All-Star Week. It's like, there's nothing to talk about. And I feel like every year I've taken this off, something big has happened. And like most notably, I had this week off and the Kawhi news went down, right? There was a huge Kawhi week, the helicopter chase, all this different stuff had happened all during MLB All-Star Week. And I ended up having to come in studio and work and find my way on to do different shows. This, this one, since I'm working it and no one else is essentially, like no regular host at the station, who's working? Ailish? That's it. No, yeah, they're five to seven. They're in fan drive. But everybody else is off. I'm on. It's a guarantee that nothing's going to happen this week now. It's going to be dead. It's going to be absolute crickets. I can basically guarantee you that. Okay, so I've got John Morosi in a couple of minutes because we're going to talk about the Jays at the break. And it's, it's weird with the Blue Jays. They won. What nice comeback. Danny Jansen, clutch home run. Good defense from Vladdy. Another good outing from Trevor Richards, who is just the man. Trevor Richards is just the man. And my stock with Richards and Kikuchi combined this season. Oh, rich, rich with Blue Jays takes. Anyway, um, I'll get to more Jays stuff, but it's, it's hard even in that victory not to look at the record and go, oh, it's the exact same as last year. Okay, it was Nathan Lukes that came up. Lucas that came up with a big clutch hit at the end of the game. They had to use Ernie Clement again. That, yeah, it, they're in such a weird position. They jump into a wild card spot. They grab that final spot against the Yankees. They're now a half game up. There's no one really below them now. The Angels were a threat for a little while, but all those injuries and now Mike Trout, it's just, it's hard to fathom them making a rally at this point. Yeah, the Mariners, just they've been the most disappointing team in baseball this season, saving the Jays from that honor in the American League. That it just, I, I think what it is is the wild card spot just doesn't feel good to anybody anymore, especially since that it, this year it feels like a step back that there's a good shot that you're going to start it on the road. So anyway, we'll talk to John about, yeah, some of the timelines with players that could be returning and some of the guys that they could be targeting. And then, yeah, how we're sort of feeling from the outside looking in on the Blue Jays, because I, I do think that we get a little too granular with it sometimes. Anyways, a couple quick housekeeping items before we get to Morosi and do more Jays talk stuff that... I didn't think we're enough for a podcast on their own. Maybe they will be pieces of ones later throughout the week, but just quick little rapid fire of thoughts from the weekend. Number one. So Alex DeBrinkett gets traded and he goes to Detroit. He's a Michigan guy. He wanted to be in Detroit and he signs a four-year extension that starts with a seven. And I can't read. And I rushed to Twitter yesterday. I said it started with an eight. It doesn't. Was the first three years are eight two five, and I didn't look at the final year. So it's front loaded. The last year, whatever, it comes to what seven point eight five. I think that's what it is for over a four year contract, and it just it gets done right away, and it's a reminder of Nylander, right? And and Matthews, like both of them are sitting there where you're going. Can you guys just please stop holding the city hostage? With contract demands, can you just make sure that this thing gets done? Can you just allow the Toronto Maple Leafs to move forward? Can you let their fans have an offseason where they're not at each other's throats over who should get paid what? That this is not a debate 
in Toronto. But no, we have to have it. 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 All these guys, they, it's a business, fine. But for whatever reason, Toronto, it just, these three young guys continue to be different from everywhere else in the NHL. And some of the fans don't want to accept that. They want to be like, no, it's apples to oranges because Nylander's contract starts a year from now. And Matthews is like, yeah, okay, sure, fine, I guess. I guess it's so different. I guess it's so different that they just can't figure out a little bit of cap math and find a way to have Nylander come in at his comparables that are out in the market right now. Like, Debrinkit goes to a place he wants, and people make a big point of that. They go, oh, Debrinkit wanted to go to Detroit. By the way, I should say for Red Wings fans, really nice trade for you. Like, a conditional first-round pick, all right. Conditional first, fine. A fourth, an AHL guy that, from what I understand, is not exactly a big-time prospect. And then a good player. Dominic Kubelik's good player. 20-goal guy, consistent, solid player for the Sens. So they get a somebody. He's a quality guy, but you're definitely not buying Senators tickets next year going, we got Kubelik. <laughs> he's just a, he's a good player. He's an above average middle 6E guy. Good. Nice. Uh, good for Dorian for scrounging some pieces. I, I think people are trying to dunk on him a little too hard because he moved the seventh pick. I think all things considered, you look at what they moved out, what they ended up with, plus a season of the Brinkett. I, I don't think it's uh, a horrible look for the Ottawa Senators, but it's certainly a win for the Red Wings. And they kind of needed one because their offseason was pretty meh. You went through and looked at, I think, the seven or eight players that they brought in through free agency. And JT Comfer was the head of this. But it was a lot of Justin Hall and James Reimer. Not, not exactly the most sexy name list from Steve Eiserman this year, but he's such a good general manager that we all look at it and go, huh, you know, maybe there's something here. Maybe he's doing it the right way. So whatever the Detroit plan, the Iser the plan looks a little bit better today after winning that to bring trade. But anyways, to wants to go there and he only takes four years. So it starts with a seven. Great. They find a way and they get it done immediately. The thing is, Alex, uh, the, William Nylander, he claims he wants to be here too. This is supposed to be the spot that he wants to be. It's an original six team. It's one of the most glamorous markets in all of hockey, if not the most glamorous. Like how many really do you beat it? What are you going to say? Montreal, tr- New York? Fine. If, like We're parsing here. Toronto is one of the biggest places to play. And maybe he doesn't, I don't know if Nylander really particularly cares about the attention. Like, I actually think it is a thing with Matthews where you should be selling that to him. Hey, man, it, it isn't going to be the same if you play for the LA Kings as if you play for the Toronto Maple Leafs in terms of your exposure around the game. It's just, it's just not. So I don't know if that matters to Nylander, but this is a pretty great city to live in if you have a lot of money. And that's what he would be having. He's also a young, good-looking guy. This is a great city to be in. I think it's kind of a challenging city if you don't make any money and you're not William Nylander can be tough, but it certainly is a very, very good spot if you are going to be him. Plus there's endorsement deals that are going to be available to you everywhere. Like again, Max Domi is coming back to Toronto and talking already the proper talk, right? Where he goes, I want to be a Maple Leaf for the rest of my life. All this different stuff. This was always a dream for me to be here because he's seen what it did for Ty. He knows what it did for Ty. If Ty Domi had played his entire career with the Dallas Stars, do you think he's hanging out with Tom Brady? I do not believe so. I do not believe that is the case. 
I don't think that he would have been on television for how long for home phones, right? Ty had that basically 15-year ad campaign here that he made money on. There's money to be made for William Nylander off the ice, more here than there is in other places. How many commercials does he have as of right now? He's got a bunch. If you watch a Maple Leafs game and it goes to commercial break, you haven't had a shortage of seeing William Nylander's face on stuff. And he could probably end up getting more if he really wanted him to. And I understand that his contract comes up a year from now. The, the William Nylander defenders and the Toronto Maple Leaf contract defenders that are out there, which I will say are smaller. I, I don't mean to straw man this because I, I feel as though most of the fan base is on the same page with this at this point, where people have gone, it, it's, it's just out of control here. We're tired of being the one city where the contractual talks don't just go with one player. They go with multiple players. We're tired of players who have gotten paid up front and have not really done anything, one playoff series, five playoff wins in a season, and looked at it and said, wow, yay, this is enough. No, it's been disappointing so far. The weird one is people always try to link Tavares into this thing, and it's like, uh-uh, he was a free agent, an unrestricted free agent who you had to lure from a different destination, pre-salary cap going flat, and also who had been proven commodity in the league for a very long time as one of its best players down the middle. Yeah, did it work out the way they wanted it to? I would say absolutely not. Is he aging a little bit more rapidly, potentially? Yeah. But ultimately, that contract is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the RFAs that got the world and everything handed to them by Kyle Dubas. With, with Matthews, it was the term. With Nylander, it was the weird sticking point that went all the way into the season. They ended up burning one. And then with Mitch Marner, it was allowing him to compare himself to Austin Matthews instead of his actual market, which was just cuckoo bananas. And again, didn't even sign an eight-year term, signed six. Gave him Matthews' term and money. Nuts that that contract ended up happening. But who cares? The cycle needs to stop. These guys need to stop comparing themselves to one another. Matthews is allowed to compare himself to the best players in the game. We've all accepted that. He won a heart trophy. He's one of, if not... It's hard to say when you're watching the playoffs and he can disappear at times the way that he has, but he's one of, if not the best goal scorer in the NHL. Pure goal scorer, can create his own offense. That shot, he he is likely the guy. You look at five-on-five five scoring since he entered the league, he's got a very strong case. I'd say now, like it pretty much is McDavid. It's the, to me, the LeBron argument where it was like, hey, if LeBron wanted to win, get a triple-double every night, he could have gotten it. It's the same thing with McDavid where I go, yeah, if he wants to lead the league in scoring goals, he'll get it. He'll, he'll do it. But anyway, it's fine for Matthews to do that. The greatest players in the games, the goal scorers, they get the big money. And people are looking at this Nylander thing going, well, he's coming off the 40-goal season. Debrinkin has two of those. So uh, what I don't get here with some people is they're like, okay, well, you can base Matthews' contract because he won a Hart Trophy and he did score the 60-plus goals. He's coming off of a down year, but that doesn't matter for him. But it shouldn't, but it should matter for Debrinket, and that's why it shouldn't matter for Nylander. Like the defenders of the Leaf stuff are uh, out to lunch. It's this selective, weird picking to try to defend these guys for going after this money. Even if Nylander goes, all right, Timo Meyer is 8.8. My contract kicks in a year later. I'm going to take a small percentage bump from this. Let's just say it's nine over eight, you know, N- nine over seven. Fine, get it done. But it's got to be a lower number if it's going to be the shorter term. Start it with an eight. Have it 
Give them the four years to break it. Why is it just Toronto guys where we get these reports that they just, they're not making headway. They can't get this thing going, but everyone at the end of the year stands in front of the microphones. And I know it's just athlete stuff because what are you going to say when you're in front of the media this way? But they all stand and go, yeah, I love it here. It's so great here. I want to, I want to play here. I want to see things through here. I want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, but I'm not going to give anything back when it comes to salary demands, but I am going to compare myself to Mitch Marner, what he signed pre pandemic non-flat cap era instead of all of the really good players that I'm in the mix with right now. There's all these debates. Oh, Nealand's better than Brinkett. Okay, fine. He's better than Timo Meyer. Okay, fine. He scored 40 goals last year. He's better than Pierre-Luc. Okay. Yeah. You're telling me he's just like that appreciably that much better than all these guys that this should be a knock him out and drag it out negotiation with this guy and the Toronto Maple Leafs. No. Why is it Matthews still waiting for this deal? What, what's happening here? Why has he just not signed and started to put the pecking order and make sure that it's sort of established at this point? Yeah, okay, maybe they have a deal in place and everyone's felt nice and confident about it. It would just be nice to... Ha- Why can't you be normal? Why can't you be normal? Why can't you just have these contract extensions go down like the rest of the markets around hockey? Why is Toronto so different? It's infuriating. It's truly, truly, truly infuriating. And the lastly on this, to wrap this up, because this has gone a little too long, you look at that trade and it gives Nylander more leverage. And it makes you think as a Leaf fan, you go, oh, so you traded Brinkett and you got back a first and Kubalik and then some filler? Huh. A Leafs can be better they trade William Nylander, like, yeah, I, again, that's the destination of his choice. That's the one spot in Seizerman they were negotiating with. It's different because of the term that he has on the contract and the, the amount of leverage that the Brink had had. Still, it's not exactly an overly encouraging trade offer when you think about what could re- be returning for Nylander, what could be out there for him. I, I do think it would be much better but, boy, if you're a Senators fan, you were dreaming about the team taking a big step forward and you got to brink it. And it's like, oof, that's not, that's not it. Anyway, let's keep, let's keep moving. I, I'll get to Morosi in a minute. The other quick thing. So Fred Van Vliet admits to chemistry issues on, what was the podcast called again? I didn't write it down. The Pivot. The Pivot. Uh, play the clip, Austin. Here's uh, Fred Van Vliet on The Pivot. The coach gets fired. Yep. Your starter point guard is no longer there. Your best player on the team is now on, a, you know, trade rumors every day. So it goes hand in hand. There's a there was a mix of guys that have been there, new guys trying to prove themselves. It didn't work out. It wasn't a great fit for whatever reason. The chemistry didn't click, and that's probably the most I can say about that. But yeah. to those stories that's coming out, I mean, I can't do nothing about that. I can't. I still got a great relationship with everybody that was there. I love that. The chemistry didn't click, but I still have a great relationship with everybody. There. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting that he addressed this. He says that if you don't address it, you know, you don't have to address it, but it's all right. You, you did. And you said the chemistry didn't click. And that's a, I can see why he would say just because to me, that just sounds like on court stuff where they're trying to figure out the path forward. You can interpret it that way anyways. But, He 
He references Siakam being in the trade rumors every day. That's his guy. Who is he closer with on the team? That's, it's Siakam. Those are the two guys that were supposed to inherit the team. Now he's gone. Siakam still publicly had the, I want to be here. I want to resign here thing. Uh, I want to be a Toronto Raptor. I might resign with the place that trades for me. All right. But Van Vliet's gone. He's gone. He's talking about the chemistry. You have to wonder now Siakam, it's not him and Fred. It's not their team anymore. It's not Nick Nurse around anymore. It's just like a young team, new coach, guy with development. And Siakam is sitting there going, well, you know, who am I to the rest of these guys? They're all much younger than me. For the most part, anyways. And so, yeah, these rumors are kicking up, but it's it's hard to think that they're going to go away anytime soon. But how does this frame, that lack of chemistry between the guys that had been there and the guys that were coming up, the Scotty Barnes era Raptors with the Siakam, Fred Van Vliet era Raptors, when you have it publicly out there that the chemistry didn't work and that the guy who left, who's admitting to that, is clearly in the camp with the star that you have, Pascal Siakam, who remains. It's a huge part of it. Anyway, I, I think that this will probably be, up, be updated in, uh, over the next week. And then last thing, quickly, before we break and get to John, is just simply Alex Volkanovsky is unquestionably the best featherweight ever, and, and honestly, he's going to be in the Mount Rushmore pretty soon if he continues at this pace. Like, he's 14-1 and one in the UFC, and his only loss was a decision that felt like a win considering he pushed Makachev to the brink and we all thought that he was actually tilting the fight in his favor and that he was starting to win it. So he's now 6-1 and one in title fights, 6-0 and oh for featherweight. We, we were given Max Holloway the best featherweight title when he defended after, I think he defended only twice or after he defended the second time. It was unfair to Aldo Because I always thought that Aldo kind of got brushed aside a little bit because Conor McGregor ended up knocking him out so viciously that it changed the way that we thought about him. But Aldo was the greatest featherweight of all time. And I, I think Max was having what looked to be one of the most dominant runs and it stopped. And then, yeah, Volkanovski goes 3-0 against him, one of which I actually think Volk did lose. But either way, he continues at this pace. And the little Australian guy who, for some reason, his opponent's still called too short, uh who looks like a rugby player, who just seems like a nice down-to-earth guy. It, like, pound for pound, he's the man. He's, he's becoming the face of the UFC. Like, Conor McGregor's not going to fight. He's, he can't get through USADA. He's clearly roiding out like crazy. Look at how different he looks now than what he used to look like. I love when people go, Conor McGregor unveiled his new look. I'm like, that is called steroids. That is the look of steroids. John Jones doing shots. They're talking about Jones and, hey, why is he in Vegas? That's still the conversation on him. I think we all agree that John Jones has a couple of fights left and they're going to be pretty selective, right? We're going to be waiting on those things. Israel Adesanya is not the face of the UFC anymore. It's, not, it's never going to happen again. Um, that was a great knockout, but the fact that he's ducking Pereira again is just, yeah, it's, it's brutal, especially for this sport where it's supposed to be best on best. If Volkanovsky goes up and ends up beating Makachev in the rematch, which I think is going to be probable and possible and all these different things, yeah, you're going to start to have conversations about, hey, he's already unquestionably the best guy that they've had 
Yeah. Since Habib left, there's no doubt he's the best guy since Habib left. But, yeah, what is he going to be at the end of his career if it continues on this trajectory? Which I, I just don't think it's stopping. Look, he just showed back up in his division. He dominated. It was easy peasy. The other favorites end up losing. I had a horrific night. I had every single bet lost on, on my UFC cards. The first time that's ever happened to me. Anyways, one between my best bets that were hot. I, I'm not counting it as best bets because I threw them all out there because seven in a row for actual best bets. But that, that was asterisks. There's an asterisk with it now because I was horrific on betting that card. Just completely unbelievable. Anyways, we'll get to John Morosi. We'll talk about the Blue Jays. But first, now available in Ontario, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus in 93 octane. This higher octane fuel provides enhanced performance and greater protection benefits for all premium drivers. Shell is celebrating this launch with the celebrity appearance by repeat Indy champion driver Joseph Newgarden at the Young and York Mills station on July 13th, just in time for the Toronto Indy. Watch for the Air Miles bonus miles promotion and gas card giveaways at participating stations leading up to Toronto Indy. Quick break, John Morosi next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, one of my favorites. I haven't talked to him in a while. John Morosi, Bellamy Network. Good morning, John. How are we today, buddy? Outstanding, JD. Great to be with you. I was able to see the Jays yesterday here yeah. in the great city of Detroit. Uh, yeah. Come back, win there for the Blue Jays. So I was uh, in attendance as they wrapped up the first I half. It. I love it. And yeah, Danny Jansen, just legitimately clutch player. Just a guy proving clutch is real. I know that the baseball purists don't want to believe in it. I will always believe in it. And I, I do think that Jan, uh, that Jano actually has it. Okay, so I want to talk to you today about a, a couple of different things. But I want to start with this, which is, okay, so the Blue Jays are at the break, the unofficial midway point. I know it's later, blah, 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 blah. It's the all-star break. They've got essentially the exact same record as they had a year ago. Um, you look at things, they're back in a wild-card position. Uh, they're not the Seattle Mariners, right, where you get labeled as the most disappointing team in baseball. They've had some up and downs, but ultimately... This season, despite them sitting exactly where they were a year ago, I guess maybe the argument is that there isn't progress. It feels like it's, it, it just hasn't been a very positive feeling here in Toronto watching this baseball team. Um, I wonder, just from your vantage point, what do you think is the, the most surprising thing for you about the Jays as it stands today? Hmm. That's, that's a good question, J.D., because I, I do think this team has some aspects that have actually been positive on, on the on the upside in terms of some of the underlying aspects of, of the performance and, and the way they're trending. But I also think that probably the biggest difference, if we're looking at it right now, is that they have got to deal with a really strong Baltimore team in their division and a really strong Tampa team. Mm. And so that's where we talk about their record may be the same or about the same as it was a year ago on, on this exact date but the circumstances are different. And I think it's also different that certainly Manoa came back. He had one good start against the Tigers, and we're, we're left to contemplate now during the break. Was that um, evidence that he's all the way back? Was that evidence that he faced a, uh, a relatively weak lineup and, and, and pitched well against them? Um, I, I do think it was a, a really good step for him and, and a huge confidence booster and in a, a great way for the Jays overall to enter the break. I mean, you, you get no hit on Saturday, but 
Friday you, you get Manoa, and then Sunday you get a, a comeback win that showed a lot of character. So um, it's still a team that has, in my view, a lot of upside. And you look at their, their lineup and, and how many sort of star-level performers they actually have and, and you know, guys that are in the All-Star game but not really having MVP-like seasons. They actually, when you look at this ball club, they actually are in some ways fortunate to be in as good of a position as they are. And when you look around at the, at the other teams that have been in the wild card mix right now, well, the Yankees just fired their hitting coach. The Angels are in a free fall. The Mariners haven't really been able to put it together. So you look around and say, for all the Jays' faults and inconsistencies, you actually have to like their chances to find a way to get back to the postseason. So uh, I, my, my overall assessment is unfulfilling first half, mm-hmm. inconsistent first half, underperforming in many ways, and yet I, I really like their chances to make something of this season and at the very least get to the playoffs here in 2023. Yeah, it, it, it's weird because we all know in sports progress isn't linear, but at one, you know, you're year eight into Shapiro and Atkins, and you're hoping for more than uh, playoff wild card games on the road, right? And and playoff right, games. Right. I, not to sound like old greedy Gus here, because you, you know Toronto wasn't exactly playoff baseball uh, guarantee for most of my life. <laughs> it's a right. recent development where they make the playoffs, but there it, it's like making the final spot in a wild card when with the expanded playoffs. It doesn't have the same feeling as making the playoffs in even 2015 and 16, right? Like, it's just not. It's it's a bit of a different story. Right. And so to be in this same spot where you look at the team and go, okay, the record is the same, and you're right, there is reason to believe that they'll lock up that spot and that the team is good. Seeing the Orioles surpass you with their plans, seeing the Rays do it on a budget, um, just be this good – and feel like the team is not as special even as a year ago, that they're maybe around as good, but don't have some of the same things like Manoa being incredible. Yeah, it's just it's I, I think it's been tougher for people to swallow. And so now you're looking at this and saying the other part is Toronto is all in, right? That's the real feeling is right. with Baltimore, everyone's so excited because you have all this room to operate. And with Tampa, I have no idea what their prospects are like, or, but they win every trade. So you feel like whatever they end up trying to do is actually going to work out for them. For Toronto, they, they won that game yesterday because of Nathan Lucas gets into a game. Mm-hmm. They had Ernie Clement in the game again, coming off the bench uh, to, right. to pinch hit. Uh, who's pretty much like, that's not supposed to be a thing for a contending team. And yeah, I think that one thing has become very, very clear, which is they need another right-handed bat the question is, how far away are they from getting that done? Because Shapiro and Atkins have jumped the market before. This is a clear need for this baseball team. What, what's your read on them trying to add depth and how they're going to be able to accomplish something like that, given what they have with their farm system? Right. No, I, I think that's an excellent point. This is now, and in, in, again, we're, I'm a little reluctant to pronounce too much about Manoa after one start, mm-hmm. but at least there was a reassuring sign enough yeah. on Friday that that I think Ross and Mark have now some license to focus more on the offensive side of the ball uh, for, for the next couple weeks and see if they can produce the bat that they need. I think to your point, you know, I, I, for a long time, I have thought that they that their primary need was on the 
left-handed side of the of the ledger, and, and I still think that they are, in many ways, a, a right-handed dominant lineup overall, top mm-hmm. to bottom. But I, I think they have brought their balance by adding in Belt, Varsho, mm-hmm. Kiermaier. They have become more left-handed, or at least left-handed enough, to where if if the best available option for them to augment their lineup is is right-handed, then they can feel comfortable doing that. I, I think one of, one of the ironies here, and I, I don't know how likely it is, but one of the ironies is, you know, what if what if Seattle really falls off the uh, the pace here in the wild card? Would they consider trading Teoscar back for the final two months? I brought, <laughs> that, this, I brought this up the, last the week. Is, I brought that up last that's week. That's the kind I, of yeah. player that, right? I that's know. the kind Perfect. of player that they probably need. So uh, it's a really ironic um, situation to be in. But I, I think to your to the big picture point that you made a moment ago, JD, I think you're exactly right that this team you have to look at the context of, of what they're trying to do, what they've been building toward. Their their window to win the World Series with Vlad and Bo quite literally runs through the end of 2025. Mm-hmm. And if you take out that horizon to five years or six years, um, Jays fans won't want to hear this, but I, I feel better about – the Baltimore Orioles having more opportunities to win the World Series in this decade mm-hmm. uh, from now until the end of it than the Jays have. Yeah. And, um, and the other piece is, you know, how long can you reasonably expect the Yankees and or Red Sox to, to be mediocre or in the bottom of a very competitive American League East? You know, it is, we've talked before about this. It is a, a statement of reality, mathematical certainty that whenever the Jays are good, it corresponds with a diminishment in the standing of the Yankees or the Red Sox or both. And, and the, the one difficult part of this now is that the Yankees are in some ways, uh, you know, they basically have the same record as the Jays, but in some ways they're, they're just not the same team without a healthy Aaron judge and they've fired their hitting coach and the Red Sox have been last in the division for a while and have a lot of inconsistencies as well. The, the, it really stings if you're the Blue Jays when you see the Yankees and Red Sox floundering a bit, and then you look up and say, "Wait a minute, I've got two really good teams in front of me who aren't the Red Sox and the Yankees." That's just this division yeah. is just so difficult, and I think that's part of the reality of where the Jays are right now. That's that's absolutely it. It's just yeah, you want to feel like when there's down cycles with the Yankees and the Red Sox, and that you have this special talent group that you built towards that this was supposed to be your time and seeing the other two others, because I think that it's fair to say that the Yankees and Sox, this is their division and that you, the Orioles right. and Tampa, that you're the third of the others during this time. It's not right. Anyway. So are there some names that you think Toronto would like to target when it comes to that bat? It's like, I, the reason why I referenced the right-handed bat is that it's hard to imagine how they would fit in a DH type. Um, that isn't just purely like a pinch hitter. In, and work belt in too, right? Like having belt Vladdy and then another lefty bat, you go, well, right, where, where do you fit? Where does this, where does this guy get in? Um, but with the right-handed bat, is there a name or two other than Teoscar Hernandez that you're starting to circle and go, hey, this is someone that teams might be listening in on? Yeah, so I, I think I, I would start to look initially at, at one team that is, that is on the precipice of, of probably becoming a seller, and that's the Cubs. 
they they have, I think, um, and again, we we can talk about other possibilities. I I do believe that Bellinger was someone that the the Jays looked at at different times, and mm-hmm. he is likely to get traded, having a really good year. Mm-hmm. He can play the outfield. He can play. Uh, certainly first base if you need him to. Obviously, the, the Jays are set there. Uh, but I, I think he is versatile enough that I would I would uh-huh. take a really good look at Bellinger and potentially move him around and, and see what different positions he could he could make an impact on for you. Um, you know, they, they are also someone that, you know, I, I think in general, the Cubs have maybe that one extra reliever that you would want. If the Jays are going to add pitching, uh-huh. I think it's more of that, that swingman type who could fill in if Kikuchi needs um, needs a break or if things don't go the right direction with Alec. You know, the, the one thing the Jays do not have a ton of is is ready-made AAA starting pitching depth ready to impact. And I think that was made apparent by the inability to call up somebody to take Manoa's spot. They had to keep bullpenning things through. I, I think that, to me, is, you know, I look at one of the, the Tigers All-Stars or the, or the one Tigers All-Star, Michael Lorenzen, as someone who I think fits uh, what the Jays potentially need. You know, obviously the, the, the bullpen needs are there, and, and, and I think every contending team needs, a, needs another reliever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Lorenzen has particular applicability because he's shown that he can be a starter. He's shown that he can be a reliever. He's a very versatile guy, good teammate, uh, been traded before. Those kinds of boxes that you check that I think are, are helpful. But I, I think in general – Again, the name that comes up to me, I, I know he's not right-handed, but you know, Bellinger with mm-hmm. the Cubs is a fit. Teoscar with, with Seattle is a fit. I think the, the Nationals I mentioned on, on the Sportsnet TV side yesterday, uh, Corey Dickerson, the former Jay, I think mm-hmm. he makes some sense. He's left-handed, obviously. Ildemar yeah. Vargas, I think he makes a lot of sense, too. Um, th- there are, and I think Colorado's got some bats that you know, they're a team. They're probably the one clear-selling team right now in the NL West. Depending on how things go with their with their group, you could. I'm not going to say Chris Bryant. Obviously, he's more more of an expensive guy that that we would not expect to get moved. But uh, are they ever to the point where they would consider moving a, a Ryan McMahon? Again, he's left-handed. Or old friend Randall Grichik. He's another guy that I think could be available. You know, these these are some some of sort of the more of the the complementary pieces yeah. on, on a team like the Rockies and the Cubs, J.D., that I would recommend uh, yeah. Jays fans start to look at. Yeah, well, uh, frankly, again, because I mentioned Lucas, and good for Lucas. I, like, I don't want to steal from his moment. Good for him. And good for Ernie, you know, Big Ern, as Ennis calls him. But th- those are not players that you want to have on a championship-caliber team. So, yeah, they're going to need to add that depth. The question is, do you think that it's overstated Because here we really do talk about the farm system and what Toronto has to offer other teams. Like, what's your read on how aggressive Toronto is going to pursue, yeah, big trades that are going to try to improve this team? And how limited are they going to be by what they have in the farm system? Well, I think that to your point, the Jays, they they traded in the last couple of years and they having Moreno now with the Diamondbacks uh, certainly limits some of their ability to, to take a big swing at a, at a major player right now where it's more of a, an incremental addition. I, I, I do think that if you look at the numbers of Aurelvis Martinez in the minor leagues, he has been better since the beginning part of May. You know, April for him was tough, but he's been better of late. 
Um, there, there are, I think, a couple other um, young prospects. Schneider actually is, is, is played pretty well up to AAA now. He's a name to watch. They, they, have, they have had some pitching, I think, perform well more at the high A, double A level um, that I think has, has maybe given them some tradable depth. But, but certainly with, with Tiedemann being injured, it, it really does limit their ability to take a big swing. And this is, to, to be fair and, and to be direct, maybe more direct about it, you know, I, I would not think that Jays fans should be getting their hopes up for, hey, if the, if the Padres fall out, let's make a run at Juan Soto. I just don't mm-hmm. think that's going to happen right now. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would sort of uh, put, that, put that aside for now and focus more on the incremental mm-hmm. um, bats that are shorter-term control. Again, uh, Jays fans might not want to hear a ton about you know, my, my belief that Grichik is a, is a good fit to, to bring back someone that, that was there before, but that's probably the aisle that you're shopping in uh, because you know, just everything you've ever seen with Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, how they build organizations, they typically do not go all in for rentals, especially not when they've done that um, or, or made significant trades in recent years that would limit their overall depth at this at this point in the evolution of the Jays farm system. Yeah, I think that you would just make the case, though, if you were a fan, you would go, well, aren't these guys needing some playoff success to ensure jobs moving forward? And so doesn't that make you a little bit more aggressive with who you would try and pursue? Because yep. I mentioned it's year eight, and, and I don't think that it's going to go over very well in the city if you end up playing wild card games on the road and, you know, lose back to back, right? Or, you know, you right. have two seasons where you don't, you get into the wild card and you don't end up winning any of those games. Okay, so the, the good thing for them is that at least all of a sudden it, it does appear that they have starting pitching depth again after running a four man rotation and Chris Bassett potentially being a little nicked up. And yeah, just having to rely too heavily on those four arms, they finally hit the break. Manoa comes up, you mentioned it. He pitches extremely well on Friday, but it is the Detroit Tigers. Like, you take it with a bit of a grain of salt, but he, he'd look good for a, a lot of that outing. This wasn't just. You know, what I maybe expected, which was four or five, where he walked a few more guys. He looked good. Like, he looked like Alec Manoa. Right. I wonder what your, what's your read on the situation in terms of how the Jays feel about him moving forward here, how close they are to, yeah, having the real Alec Manoa back. Well, I think that the, for me, one of the more encouraging parts of his, of his outing was how much he was in the strike zone. I think the, the number of walks that he had – uh, and, and just non-competitive pitches before he was sent down, that to me was the big alarm. And now he's just in the zone much more often. I, I really think that the Jays probably somewhat strategically had him pitch against a team in Detroit that that was that is not one of the top lineups in, in, in the major leagues. And certainly Alec is aware of that, and I'm sure that's, that's part of the context of the start. It's a good start against a, a, a relatively um, struggling lineup right now. And I think that that is important context. I'm not sure that he's ready to go out and face the Yankees, the Yankee Stadium, and deal for seven innings again. Mm-hmm. But I, I really believe the Jays look at it and were reassured enough that that they can at least plan on him. I, I don't think they have to get the all-star version back um, of him. And I, and I think one of the things that I would mention is that what's happened since last year, it's been a bit of a role reversal between Barrios and Manoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Barrios was never sent down to the minor leagues last year, but he struggled at times. And I, I think that, that Alec, the expectations for him, it's it now is as, as sort of stunning as it 
as we think about a year ago and on this date he was getting ready to pitch in the All-Star game, that the idea is just be good enough to be the third or fourth starter because you've got Gossman, you've got Barrios, you're really well situated there at the top. You know, the, the expectation of what you need from him has evolved. And so as the, as the, the bar for what, what you need out of him has dropped a little bit, I think the Jays feel increasingly optimistic that if the bar is lower, that he's going to be able to meet that bar and that the rotation could be and should be actually, J.D., a strength as they get to the second half of the season. And then there's the Ryu part of this, right? He has the A start. Right. And he, uh, like exactly. J- and, Siddle's talking about yeah. two to three starts potentially away um, in the minors before they take a look at him with the Jays. How, how does he fit back in with the big league club? And, and is that sort of the timeline you're feeling too? Two, three starts, a couple more weeks until we see Ryu? Right. And that's a really good point. I mean, for me, there's, there's probably, I would expect that we could see Ryu make his return somewhere around the end part of July. Hmm. And, and that's where, of course, the, the deadline being August the 1st, J.D., that you, you'll get information. And, that, and so by then, you look at the calendar and just and think how many off days you get in July because of the All-Star break and just the, the, the way in which off days can integrate into the schedule. They'll have information. They'll know by the end of July, I think, what they can expect out of Ryu. And also, they will have had another start or two out of Manoa to see how sustainable his stuff is. Mm-hmm. And, and really, J.D., they need two out of three in my opinion, at least as long as the other, the other, the, the big three stay healthy. If you if you include Bassett there with Barrios and Gossman, mm-hmm. then you need two out of three: Ryu, Kikuchi, and Manoa to be good, to be stable. And, and I think internally that's a reasonable enough, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a calculated risk and assessment. But I think in general you're confident enough that you'll get reasonably steady performance out of, out of two of those three to where you can focus on offense or, or focus on the bullpen. Or, honestly, if, if you're surprised and you get a little upside surprise and all three of them are throwing well, then one of them becomes a reliever and, and your, your bullpen's better. So it, it's, it's a nice problem to have. And for all those reasons, J.D., I think it's entirely possible that the Jays are comfortable riding things out with their current starting pitching depth and instead focus on a swingman pitcher or the bullpen or more likely the lineup. God, you'd love to see that. You'd love to see them be able to run a six-man rotation, even if, yes, you're right, you're not getting the Cy Young uh, finisher in Manoa or even that, I guess, same thing, top three Cy Young finisher in uh, Hunjin Ryu as well. Hey, we ran out of time, so we didn't get to talk about your Red Wings and the Iser plan, but congrats. Alex Debrinkit, a local guy, comes home. That feels good. Signs for a nice little sweetheart deal. He, yeah, good, congrats. You know, Detroit, maybe a little bit more back, you know, a little bit more back on the hockey map. Uh, John Rossi gets to have more hockey conversations coming up here. Yes. I can't wait. Those, uh, those Leafs wings games are going to be a lot of Better. fun. Uh, the cat has come home. Yeah. I know the wings are excited. The fans are excited here as well. So, uh, exciting times ahead, my friend can't yeah. wait to talk uh, baseball and hockey next time. Absolutely. John Rossi, MLB network. Thanks for making the time. Um, there's only one cat though. All right. And it's Toronto where you got him. It also, yeah. Ah, oh, I was like, it's it's not as cool when your name has cat in it and people go, your nickname is cat. Like, wow. So creative. 
Why isn't it the, you know, actually he didn't get the Brinks truck, right? He didn't get it. He went four years and 7.85 or whatever. And yeah, I, I cannot for the life of me understand the the bickering that I've seen. Because, you know, I, I throw the test balloon out on Twitter before some of these takes just to gauge a little bit of the response and go, okay, how are people feeling about how are people feeling about this a little bit? And again, people are looking at it and going, yeah, I'm so pissed off with the lease. I'm just done with this. I, I, again, I've said this before. I'll say it again because I talk all the time. I have to do the show every day. But Toronto has not been a superstar-laden market. Part of what was so exciting about all these young guys coming up at the same time was, man, finally, Toronto has a ton of talent, high-end talent at the beginning of their careers, not signing washed-up guys or trading for guys at the tail end of their careers. And despite this, despite this, people are at their wit's end with talent that they've never seen before, basically in their lives. Essentially since the 2003 team, right? 02, 03, when the Leafs were just loading up and really, really trying to make pushes. People haven't seen talent like that in this city since then. 20 years. And still, you go, yep. Whatever, get rid of these guys. <laughs> I can't handle this anymore. I, I can't have another day where these guys are fighting over squeezing every dollar from the organization. Just can't have it anymore. And yeah, the Brinkett goes home. And I know Toronto isn't home for Nylander, and it's not home for Austin Matthews. It was home for Marner, which was part of the reason why this was so incredibly frustrating from the beginning, that his negotiation was like this. And then remember, he put out that horrific video, Toronto. It's my home. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah? Well, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't really seem to have the pulse of this fan base in this city at all when it comes to hockey players. No one wants these guys to be broke. Everyone understands that you're supposed to treat a business like a business, and but you want something that at least is equitable, something that is fair, and you do kind of feel like, and this is probably too, this is probably where it gets emotional and unreasonable, but... You as a fan, I know I feel this way anyways. You want to feel like, hey, man, you guys haven't won anything. You've been one of the laughing stocks of the NHL at this point because you showed up, and this is partially on us, the media and the fans and whatever, where people went, is this the next Blackhawks team? Are they going to win three Stanley Cups? How many Cups are they going to win before the salaries even come up? And then they have completely fallen flat on their faces. They've had horrific, embarrassing losses in the first round. The Montreal won, again, probably the most embarrassing playoff exit I would say you could make the case that it's the most embarrassing of all time. Uh, like truly, I, I really think it's there. Um, you would think that there would be a little bit of point of pride where they would want to say, you know what? We're going to prove the world wrong. We know that we as a group can win this thing together, but we also understand that the only way that we're going to get this done is if we try and do things differently. It's the old insanity thing, right? Trying to do the same thing and then expecting different results. Well, if you guys are all trying to get the exact same amount of money and, it, you know, trying to run up the tab on the cap and then expecting that they're going to be able to fill out a roster around you that's going to win, yeah, you're probably going to get the same result. I think that we've kind of established that at this point, that you guys in a paper-thin roster is not a Stanley Cup equation. The way that you guys have faded in the postseason. Take a little pressure off yourselves, ingratiate yourselves a little bit to the market, and try to win Stanley Cups. It's so weird to me, too. I, God, I hate that I'm on this rant. I wanted to finish on Blue Jays, but I guess I'll do more Jays tomorrow. But you look at all these players at the end of their careers that take no money, right? And, and I know that they still have to make, they, they can do that later and whatever. But all these guys, what do they want to do at the end of their careers? Win. They want to go to places where they can win. 
Because, man, it was just missing from the equation. They want to grab that cup. And these guys are like, yeah, maybe someday. And that sucks. That feeling sucks. Like Sidney Crosby, again, when he left that money off the table during his prime, it was because he went, I want to keep the guys around me. And I, I, God, I want to win, man. I want to win so badly. I love winning. And these guys look at their contract negotiations and go, we want to win those. And then we'll worry about the other stuff. Then we'll worry about the other winning. Yuck. Hate it. Yeah. Closing on the Jays. And I'll probably expand on this throughout the week because this is really what I want to get the crux to. What sucks for the Blue Jays is the thing that we kind of fleshed out there with Morosi is that you felt like there was a time where Toronto was going to be the team of the decade, that it was going to be, oh, the Blue Jays, things are opening up for them. They're going to be signing free agents now. They've got a budget. They've got a farm system. They've got superstar talent. They're the envy of baseball. And just immediately the Orioles stole that and the Rays stole that. And the Jays are just sitting there like, oh, yeah, you're a good baseball team. Hey, you're a good baseball team. But you're going to be hoping that you add Randall Grichuk at the trade deadline, whereas the Yankees and the Red Sox probably going to be a little bit more aggressive. I didn't get to time with that with John, but asking about those two teams. But you would have to assume that, yeah, the Yankees are not going to play this thing out if they're right there and go, yeah, let's just not trade for anybody. Anyway, best bet hit again. So go to my Twitter and Instagram. That's where I'm putting them for last week. Again, don't follow my UFC picks for this week. That's usually my best sport too. And I got, I've, I got killed. I got absolutely murdered this weekend. Embarrassing. Got shamed for it. But I'll put up a best bet for tonight's games on Twitter and on Instagram later. So make sure you share those. Make sure you like that. And then, yeah, I'm going to, no podcast today because I don't have any of the fellas. Be back tomorrow. See you then. Subscribe and review. Wild. 